This morning we praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who will bring the faithful the reward of His presence forevermore. In the presence of You, Lord, is the fullness of joy. Amen. So turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And uh, this morning, we're going to be examined by verses 14 through 22 as we study the church in Laodicea. We'll begin by asking God the Holy Spirit to illuminate the passage to our mind for understanding. We'll ask Him to inflame our hearts with zealous passion for the things of Christ and to gain engage our will in, in enthusiastic obedience to do what it is that the Scriptures say. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we do ask this morning that you would inflame our hearts, that you would engage our wills, that we would get uncomfortable because you, Lord, love us. That we, we would be uncomfortable in our sin, knowing that the conviction that you bring to us by your spirit that makes us uncomfortable is because you love us. And you want to free us even further, Lord. And we just praise you and thank you that our sins are not counted against us because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word from Revelation chapter 3, beginning of verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on the throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. You may be seated. Prior to uh, 2020, back in March of 2020, I was asked a couple of times then and asked afterwards, what, Jeff, do you think is the major problem in the church today? What does the church need to overcome? And my answer then, and it kind of still is, is that the church would need to overcome consumer idolatry. That this consumerism has made Christians comfortable. It's a general prosperity 
in the world or in our nation that has led the church to believe a a gospel that never costs them anything. A gospel that didn't challenge them. A gospel that was all blessing and no trouble. J.C. Ryle uh, describes this situation aptly by writing this, quote, there is a common worldly Christianity in this day, which many have, and they think that they have enough. A cheap Christianity, which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. So the church here in Laodicea was comfortable. Even as their spiritual condition uh, was in serious decline, they remained comfortable in their worldly affluence. This is a church that has lost the gospel. This is a church that had become uh, relevant economically and perhaps even socially as they lived as though the gospel no longer held relevance uh, to their lives. It was no longer relevant to the lives outside of the church, those who were in their immediate Influence. See, the King James renders the verse 14 this way. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. There's a a distinct difference in the way he's addressed these other letters. In this particular letter, in the King James Version at least, it, it states it like this. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. It was a church that belonged to them. Not a church that belonged to Christ. They had shut him out. They had closed the door. See, even Laodicean, the the name, the Greek word laos, is where we get the word laity, which means people. The word dies, which means rule or decision. So the church at Laodicea was guided by man's rule, by man's affections, by the rule of the day, which was this worldly economic success. This is where they landed. So before we re- like really dive into this passage from beginning to end, as it, which is our normal way to, to methodically go through it, I want to actually begin in verse 20. Because I want us to see this. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. This is a church that is so filled with worldliness that Jesus is outside the church knocking on the door. He's seeing, he's, it's like this, he's saying, are there any of my sheep in here? Because they would hear his voice, right? The sheep hear his voice. He's knocking on the door. Are there any of my sheep here? See, because if my sheep are here, they will recognize my voice as their shepherd. He's knocking to see if there are any who remain in fellowship with him. And what does he find? He finds them in communion with the world instead of communion with him. So as we think about the theme of this particular letter is that these readers, they need to be renewed creatures. They need to be renewed in their relationship with Christ. And how do we renew our relationship with in Christ? And I think we do this every Lord's Day as we gather here. It's like I, I remember being in youth ministry and the kids uh, asking me, when are you going to get beyond the gospel? Never. We need to have the gospel preached to us over and over and over again. And this is a church that said the gospel's not relevant to us. We're doing well. 
We're doing just fine. The gospel has no impact in our lives. These are a, a ch- this is a church that needs to be renewed in their relationship with Christ. They need to have the gospel preached to them again. These is the church that, that needs to be called to respond to the Holy Spirit. They need to testify to the relationship that they have with Christ in an uncompromising manner. They need to believe again in the creative power of the resurrected Jesus. They need to believe again that the gospel is relevant. They need to believe again that only the resurrected Christ can raise them from their spiritual stupor. That only the risen Christ can strengthen them in faith so that they will repent. And that they will be confirmed their enduring fellowship with Him. If this happens, then this church will receive its reward. So before we dive in even further, I want to give us some historical context to what's going on here in Laodicea. It's a major city. It's situated at the center of three major roads. They're one of the richest uh, commercial and banking centers that was there in the known world at that time. That a center of finance was there, and there was banking there, and this was a very wealthy city. The Laodicean church is in the midst of this affluent society. Then the church and its members shared personally in that economic prosperity. This was an upper-class, wealthy congregation. Also going on in there, there's, there was a medical center in Laodicea that was famous for a healing salve that was produced to improve eyesight. Um, those who suffered from many various ailments, they had this medical center that had developed uh, in Laodicea, and this salve was produced, and it healed all sorts of uh, ailments pertaining to the eye. They're also known for the production of fine uh, clothes uh, woven from soft uh, black wool. And so these things were highly prized and highly successful. Now, the city was supplied with water from two directions. Uh, it was a hot spring six miles away would supply it water. There was another uh, place where water would come up to them because they had no real water source themselves. So they have two water sources coming to them, one coming from a hot springs and one coming from very cold water. But by the time either of those water sources reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm. It was filled with also uh, minerals like lime. So the water comes, and because of that that distance, uh, it was, uh, by the time it reached them, it was, it was pretty awful water. As we think about this, cold water is meant to be refreshing, right? It refreshes us. When we get a cold drink of water, it refreshes us on a hot day. When we think about hot water, it's it's where we get therapy from, right? We go to a, a pool of hot water to relax our muscles and those kinds of things, right? But if you can imagine this water filled with minerals coming to you, it was putrid to the taste, right? It was disgusting to drink. And this is the situation that's going on here in this uh, city. Well, the church here was established uh, during Paul's apostolic ministry. So this was an early church. The church uh, received communication through the apostolic letters. And we know this from Colossians 4.16. It says, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you know for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. The church was founded through the preaching of Paul's uh, envoy. His name was Epaphras. Colossians 1.7 tells us, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow bondservant, who was a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. Epaphras was sent with Paul at the time of the writing of the letter to Colossians. 
in uh, 4, 12 through 13. Epaphras, who is one of your own, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, always striving earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. So Heropolis was just this other small town, which is one of the sources of the water. It was the, it was the place where the hot water came down to them. So this church is, is near and dear to the apostolic ministry. So they started out really well, obviously, right? They started out in the ministry uh, of Paul and his envoy. But this church needs an injection of Christ's power. They are in the worst condition of all the churches that we have studied so far in the letters. Even we saw in the nearly dead church in Sardis that there was a faithful remnant, right? And in this letter, there's no such remnant that is clearly discernible. Nor is there any commendation uh, that occurs to various degrees in all of the other letters. This church needs the gospel preached to it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The letters, I, as I outlined this, I outlined it according to the comp- components that make up the gospel. So I'm going to pose four questions to you as we study this this morning. Question number one is God, who is he? Question number two, what is the spiritual condition of mankind because of sin? Number three, what has God in Christ Jesus done to reconcile sinners to himself? And number four, how does God call the hearers of the gospel to respond? So first, we will look at God. Who is he? To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. To the church of the Laodiceans and to the leaders of the church, Jesus says, listen to me. I am the amen. He begins with, I am the amen. What is the amen? The so be it. I am the amen. I am the so be it. My word is final. I am the faithful and true witness. My word is the truth of God. It has always been reliable, and it is the authoritative communication of Yahweh. Jesus declares that Yahweh and He are the I am who spoke into existence all of creation. The firstborn of the creation of God. He's saying, I and Yahweh... We are the co-creators of all things. I have created all things. In John 1.3, it says, all things come into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that comes into being. Colossians 1.16 and 17 says, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. See, the beginning of the creation of God. This is who is speaking to the church of the Laodiceans. He has the authority to judge what is faithful and what is true because he is the one who speaks, who is the faithful and true witness. This is his authority. And verse uh, part two, what is the spiritual condition of mankind because of sin? 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This is the spiritual condition of the church. 
And Jesus says, I know. We can just pause on that statement that Jesus says, I know. See, they'd shut him out. They'd shut him out. They'd close themselves off to the hearing of the gospel. And Jesus says, but I know. I see beyond the outward image of your prosperity. I see outside your public respectable image. I know the condition of your soul. He discovers that the condition of the souls of the church of the Laodiceans is just like what Jesus described of the teachers of the law in Matthew's gospel, it seems to me. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you, too outwardly, appear righteous, righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I know your works, he says. Here's what I see. I see that you are apathetic toward the gospel. I have noted, Laodicea, that you are indifferent to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I see your laziness in witness. Your worship and witness are half-hearted and weak at best. You think yourselves powerful, but you have uh, weakened yourself and neglected the Spirit's power that would empower you, the witness that is available to you in Jesus Christ. In other words, you are lukewarm. A lot of uh, commentators have um, wrongly applied this statement, I wish that you were hot or cold. You've probably heard it preached, and so am I, multiple times, that, that they're saying that Jesus would rather that you're either completely hostile to the gospel, cold, or on fire in zealousness. Do you think Jesus would prefer that his church would be cold and indifferent to the gospel? No. But the idea of coldness is about refreshment, right? They're supposing that he would rather be hostile or on fire. I, I don't think that's the case. I think Jesus would not desire that the church for whom he died, whom he set free from their sins, that they would be cold and hostile to the gospel. Cold in the scripture is often written about in a more positive light. Proverbs 25, 25 says, Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. Jesus is communicating to the church of the Laodiceans, I would rather that you were cold, bringing refreshment, bringing refreshing good news to the weary and the loss in the world rather than indifference. Rather than indifference, I would that you bring the power and the heat of the gospel that refines and renews. But I have found you to be lukewarm, and I will spit you out of my mouth. Your indifference is sickening. This is what he's saying to this church. Your indifference is sickening. Your indifference to the gospel has made you blind to your own need of the gospel. You need the gospel again. I know. Jesus says. Your apathy shows that you yourselves are wretched, poor, blind, and miserable. Though you be outwardly affluent, you're poor, blind, miserable. You've removed the garments of your salvation in Christ. As he says, they're naked. You've removed the garments of your salvation. You have disrobed. 
You've taken me off. You have put it, put on the world, right? You know, as we think about that passage, I kept thinking about that this week is, is intentionally putting on Christ, right? That, that's a work of intentionality on all of our parts as Christians is to get up in the morning and put on Christ, right? These guys have, have discarded their garments and have put on the world instead. And he says, that has left you exposed and naked. I see you as exposed. The condition of the church of the Laodiceans, though, is the condition of all of mankind without Christ. It's the condition of our neighbors, isn't it? It's the spiritual state of our co-workers and our fellow students. It could be the condition of some of us who gather week in and week out here. See, the gospel is just a story unless you first know the bad news. The truth, you see, that is Jesus Christ, is that he is the amen, he is the so be it. He is the beginning of the creation of God. He is the truth, and as such, he knows. He knows every self-motivated thought. He knows every sinful thought and action. As a creator God, though, he has the right to judge the truth of the condition of the human soul. When the faithful and true witness examines the soul of mankind, what does he find? Outside of himself, the faithful and true witness examines the soul of mankind and he finds them just as Romans 3 describes. There are none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. They are, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before them. See, the church of the Laodiceans, they need to be renewed in their understanding of their condition, of their condition without Christ. The gospel needed to be preached to them afresh. But before we get to the good news, because it's coming, we need to pause just a moment as we're sitting right here, I think, and allow the Spirit to examine the condition that our souls are in today. To sit here and reflect on our need of Christ. To reflect on our need of a refreshing from the Holy Spirit. As we ask question three, what has God in Christ Jesus done to reconcile sinners to himself? Verse 18, I advise you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. In Christ, you see, this is good news. In Christ, there is spiritual wealth for the wretched, the miserable, the poor, the blind, and the exposed sinner. His riches have been refined as through fire. Buy for me gold refined by fire. Job 23.10 says, but, but he knows the way I take. He has tried me and I shall come forth as gold. Christ was tried and in him there was no lack. There was no impurity. 
He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus is declaring here to the church of the Laodiceans, if you step away from worldliness and you forsake your self-sufficient reliance on materialism, you will be tested. But in Christ, you will be refined. And when you are refined, you will have the purest and greatest treasure. And the treasure is Christ himself. 1 Peter 1, 6-9 reads this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. He says, if you leave the worldly behind, you should trust that your faith is going to be tested. If you get uncomfortable, you get out of the comfort that worldliness brings you, you will find discomfort in the world. But this discomfort will refine you. And you'll receive the greatest treasure that's finer than gold. It is the salvation of your souls and the consummation of that with Him in heaven forever. The Laodiceans, though you have been found exposed and your nakedness uncovered, Jesus says, there is a covering in Christ Jesus, a robe of righteousness for the unrighteous sinner. Isaiah 64, 6 says, For all of us has become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like wind, they take us away. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. What has God done in Christ Jesus for poor, blind, wretched, naked sinners? By His death and His resurrection, He has clothed them in His righteousness. Further, as we saw and, and understood that in the medical center in Laodicea, they developed this salve that would he, heal many causes of blindness. But here's the problem that's going on with the church there. They couldn't open their blinded eyes to the Spirit. They couldn't open their own eyes to see. Because only Jesus can open the eyes of the blind those who are blinded by sin. You know in John chapter 9 that there was this man who was born at birth that Jesus healed. After he received sight, the men, blinded by religiosity, they pressed in on this one who was once blind. And they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. Then they questioned, What kind of person is this Jesus? So a second time they called uh, the man who was blind and he said to them, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. 
He answered them, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. Isn't that the story of our salvation, brothers and sisters? I once was blind, I could not see. And only Jesus could open my eyes to the truth of what sin had done to me and what sin was doing in me. And Jesus declares that unless you understand your condition, unless you turn to me, you will remain in that position, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus tells them in John chapter 9, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, We see, your sin remains. This is the thing. They don't know they're blind. The church at Laodicea does not know their own spiritual blindness. They say, we can see perfectly fine. Everything is comfortable. We have all that we need. We have no need of Christ. He's irrelevant. But unless the Spirit exposes to you that you are indeed spiritually poor, you are spiritually bankrupt before God, you cannot stand in your own righteousness before God. This is, this is what he's telling this church. Is that you're trying to stand in your own righteousness, in your own good deeds, in your own wealth, in your own worldliness, and this will do you no good. Your sin remains. I want to pose question three again. What has God in Christ Jesus done to reconcile sinners to Himself? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. After the strong rebuke and the bad news of their spiritual condition, Jesus says, do you want to know why I tell you that you're wretched and you're poor and you're blind and you're miserable and you're naked and you're exposed before me? Do you think that I desire to be mean to you? Why do I make the comfortable uncomfortable? Why would I take you from comfort and make you uncomfortable? His answer is quite clear. Because I love you. I chose you. I am continuing to choose you. So I correct you. I will get in the way of your fun, son. I said this to my oldest son when he was about 14 or 15 years old. I said, you can guarantee, son, that I will get in the way of your fun every single time. I will get in the way. And I told him, because I love you, I will get in the way of your fun. I'm even willing for you to dislike me right now. I'm willing because I love you. I'm willing to make you uncomfortable. I'm willing for you to think poorly of me because I love you. And Jesus is telling the church here, I'm correcting you because I love you. I'm making you uncomfortable because I love you. Because I I am here to save your soul. Because I love you and I have saved you for so much more than what this world has to offer. Correction hurts, doesn't it? It stings a little bit. It makes us a bit uncomfortable. Hebrews 12 tells us this, And if you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those who the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time and seemed best of them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Think about this. This church, man, the love of Jesus Christ is amazing. When I look at this passage, and I think the fact that they closed the door to him, they locked him out. They disregarded his gospel truth. They refused to listen to the truth. They refused to engage themselves in the spirit. And he says, but I love you. I have chosen you. I stand at the door and knock and I discipline you and I reprove you and I correct you because I love you and I want you to share in my holiness. I want you to share in my righteousness. This is love. This is love that says we who are closed off to him, he's knocking at the door of the wayward church. I know we often think about that, that statement in verse 20 as as like a, an evangelistic verse, right? Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. And in, if it, in, in one sense, that's true. But think about it in its context here. This is to the wayward church. This is to a people that he loved, that he died for, and he set free from sin, and they locked him out. And he's knocking at the door. Are any of my sheep in here? Are any of those still in fellowship with me? I knock on the door because I love you. I'm going to make you uncomfortable so you know that I love you because I want you to share in my holiness. Finally, we reach question four. How does God call the hearers of the gospel to respond? First, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. See, the gospel commands a response and it's commanding a response from this church, particularly this. Be zealous, which is exactly the opposite of lukewarm. Be on fire. Leave lukewarm apathy and ambivalence. Repent of your consumer idolatry urgently and immediately. I don't want you to receive the judgment that is due those who have married themselves to this system. See, coming, if you would turn with me to chapter 18 of Revelation, coming is the judgment of that system with which they have been embedded. Chapter 18, uh, let's look at verses uh, 3 through 8. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. 
For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds, and the cup which she has mixed, uh, mixed twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow. I will never see mourning. For this reason, one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire for the Lord God who judges her is strong. This is a judgment on the system. And this is a command to come out of her. And in a sense, this church at Laodicea, they are of the Laodiceans. They are of man's system. And they have married themselves to her. And judgment is is coming for her. Come out of her. Come out of this comfort and cling to Christ. Let's look at verses 14 through 20 of chapter 18. The fruit you long for has gone from you. And all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who become rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe to the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste, and every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance. And they were crying as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning and saying, Woe to the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. See, this system is dying away. The world that we live in and, and this economic Prosperity. I think that sometimes when we, when we saw kind of the aftermath of what happened with, with, uh, COVID in 2020 and we saw that, you know, stores were kind of closing down. There was chaos in the streets. There was, uh, prices and they're still going up and higher and higher and higher. This economic system, I believe, is falling apart. And one day God will judge it and in an hour it'll be gone. So why would the church marry itself to that system? Because in the meantime, right, there's a little bit of comfort that comes from that. There's some comfort. We don't like to be uncomfortable. Uh, Melissa and I were kind of talking about this this morning, a little bit about how, you know, we as American Christians really like to be comfortable, right? We like to be comfortable. And... One of the things that we like to be comfortable about is not being a faithful witness to our neighbors and our friends and, our, and the people that we run into in the world that are in our sphere of influence, right? Because if we proclaim the gospel to them, that's an uncomfortable conversation sometimes. And they might feel a certain way towards me. So I just, rather than, than be uncomfortable, I'll just be quiet. I'll just say nothing, Right? And that kind of has, has become a cultural thing within the church, right? But I think that as we look at the scripture, we should welcome God convicting us and saying, make me uncomfortable. Make me uncomfortable. 
Because making me uncomfortable gives me the riches of his righteousness. Gives me the glory uh, that belongs to God, that he is glorified in that. Come out of her. And so he says here, the opposite of lukewarm ambivalence is what I'm calling you to be. Be zealous. I'm calling you to, to embrace being a little uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable. Be zealous. Exercise all the strength and the power that is available to you in the Holy Spirit. Because I have sent you this help in the Spirit of God. God raised Jesus from the dead. And he says, so in in Jesus ascending to heaven, he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he's telling this church, strain ahead fervently. You have abandoned the gospel. You have shut me out of your worship and out of your services. I'm knocking at the door, church. I'm pleading with every member of the church to hear my voice. Return to me. I am the shepherd who loves you. I am the shepherd who's calling you. Do you hear my voice? Can you even hear it anymore? I'm the shepherd who loves you. Open the door to me. Invite me in. And we will enjoy fellowship in worship now. We will have communion at the Lord's table. We will have communion together as we, as, as you worship me. And I'll bring great reward for you if you overcome this tendency to marry yourself to the world. If you overcome this idea that you have it all together, that comfort is your idol. If you overcome this, you will have forever fellowship with me. And he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you open up the door of fellowship to Christ right now, he says, you will overcome. If you open up the door of fellowship to me now, I have overcome sin. I have overcome death. You'll be robed in my righteousness, though you be wretched and blind and poor and naked right now. Repent of that. Turn from that and turn to me and I will clothe you with the riches of the Spirit. You will enjoy internal, eternal fellowship with me. You will reign and rule with me. Remember back from Revelation chapter 1 when he he's describing himself kind of generally to John and what he's about to deliver to the churches. He says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. He has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. When he opens a door of fellowship to us, if we return and repent of our sin now, one day, we will fully realize our rule and reign with Him. Even right now, today, you and I are a kingdom of priests unto our God. We share in that by just simply believing and trusting in Him. Let's take a moment to reflect upon God's Word 
asking him perhaps uh, what way we have entangled ourselves in the world, maybe what ways we have raised up idols in our hearts, asking him, Lord, what comfort would you like me to receive from the scripture? And perhaps if you don't know Jesus Christ in a saving way, just ask while you're sitting here silently, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Let's take a moment. Lord, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning death for us. We thank you that you love us. You love us enough to correct us. You love us enough to make us uncomfortable. I pray you would continue to work in us this week as we marinate our minds and hearts upon uh, your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.